Grappling with Business with me, Gareth Tennant. And me, Chris Kitchener. In this podcast, we're hoping to explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders and businesses tick. This week's podcast is slightly different in that we, for the first time, are joining somebody else's podcast. And we're out and about. We're allowed out. We're not locked (laughs) in somebody's cupboard or on our kitchen table. Where are we? We're in Peckham. Uh, And we're joined by Rich Hill. uh, And what's your podcast called? My podcast, I don't have like a special um, intro, but my podcast is called Creatively Challenged. And it's effectively about uh, asking creative people what it's like and digging into what it's like to have creativity as your currency essentially which is hence why i've got you guys on many people may think that actually from what your backgrounds are chris you're more my end of the of the creative spectrum i guess than than you are gareth however when we met before we've immediately understood that there's a huge amount of crossover so i thought it was a really good idea to get together and effectively do both of each other's podcasts. Cool. So, uh, yeah, battling with business meets creatively challenged. Yeah. Love it. So, I mean, this kind of came about because I did a talk here in Peckham, actually at the Future Strategy Club, which is where we're hosting this. And Gareth was in the audience as, as, as many, a very diverse audience, if you remember. And you came up to me straight afterwards and said, I can't believe how aligned you are with in the design world with the way we're talking about future predictions and future scenario predictions because a lot of what you do and you'll correct me in a moment is about uh, teaching people giving people the tools of how to deal with stressful situations and making decisions in stressful situations yeah and uncertainty yeah which is obviously what the future is yeah absolutely yeah and we had lots of uh, wine fuel conversation about we did plausibility it was great well I, I think that We've, we've talked about this in previous episodes, that we, we're very good at talking about frameworks and processes and principles, but underlying that is this sense that it's the person that applies those, and to sort of bring it together, the creativity of the person, of how you apply those frameworks. You know, we talk often about, you've got to understand the rules before you can break the rules, and so I actually, to your point, I think creativity is, it, it, it surrounds us, but it's different people don't necessarily think what they're doing is creative. Absolutely. So that's, that's why I think it's interesting. And I think, for me, the thing about creativity, and just before we started, we talked about the fact that I, you said to me, I'm closer to that spectrum because of my background in the world of Adobe and creativity. Actually, I'm a charlatan because in that <laughs> sense, I don't have we a creative <laughs> bone in my body. I just was surrounded by creative people. But I think that creative people think about it as a skill and as a talent and as a muscle to hone but actually I think in business people don't think about it and yet it's just as important you know when you say I'm going to create the most brilliant business strategy or I'm going to communicate a plan underpinning that is if you're not being creative or applying a creative mindset to it it's going to be terrible it's it's going to be it's not going to be successful so I I think the as you say um 
the crossover between creativity and business, creativity and decision making is far more tangible than people might think. Yeah, absolutely. I think before we go on, it's probably worth, as we've got your audience listening to us, us for the first time and our audience listening to you for the first time, it's probably worth just introducing ourselves and our background absolutely. in a little bit more detail. So, Rich. So I'm Richard Seal. I'm an automotive designer and I've worked in design innovation actually for, you know, over nearly two decades. I thought when I started my design career that I would be a kind of traditional car designer, as in I sketch cars and do the styling on vehicles, and that's a big part of what I do. But actually, more and more, my job is now about sort of innovation and, and working with other people and trying to pull out creativity from teams, which is why it's got such a great crossover. And Creatively Challenged, my podcast, is really just me trying to research creativity because it's such a incredibly broad subject we talked about it earlier it's a little bit like uh, talking about consciousness it's like how do you really pin people have different ideas of what creativity is people have different ideas about what design is you know so um, I kind of want to dig into that and what you were earlier talking about as you sort of saying I'm a charlatan because I'm a non-creative person in a creative group I believe that everybody is creative if you if you've got any input into something new and for me, that's creativity. So I'm digging into different people in different sectors that feel differently about creativity. So. Uh, and, and that creative spark, let's say, which I know that doesn't, as we've said, that's a very nebulous term, but it's that creative spark that is the difference between a not very good leader, a good leader, and a fabulous leader. They all have the same ingredients. There's something creative. And this is something we've we've touched on a couple of times, which is, even if you have all the same tools and the same frameworks, why is it that some people are really good? Why are some people not very good? Mm. So that's a, it's a good one. Yeah. To, it's a good yeah. one to chase and say, can we can we pin that down in any way? So come on then, Rich. What have you designed that we will? What have, you, what have I designed that you will know? Um, this is a classic question, especially when I say I'm a car designer, because people assume from the outside that it's still the 50s and there's one guy going, <laughs> here's the design. And, it, and it, in some cases, it is a little bit like that, but there's huge teams of people that do this stuff. So just I'll say that up front, that, that really I've been involved in lots of exciting projects, but rarely have I done them all on my own. Um, I, I had a, a brief spell at Jaguar Land Rover before I then moved to London to a, a company called Seymour Powell, which was a, a design and innovation agency that worked on, and I worked on anything from kind of, you know, uh, the Axe deodorant can that, that everyone knows, the twisty top yep. one in a, in a team, uh, right up through to the last sort of three and a half years of my time at Seymour Powell was uh, working on the interior of the Virgin Galactic spaceship for Richard Branson and his team. So, so you are literally a rocket designer. No, exactly. That's what people always <laughs> you, say. You're, you're a rocket designer. Designer and, versus scientist. And also, oh, I was looking for a rocket scientist. Rocket scientist, exactly. People, people say that and I'm like, I didn't design the spaceship. I was part of the team that did the interior. So <laughs> nothing to do with the rocket. Definitely but, I mean, it, it was an amazing experience and working with an, an incredible team at Seymour Power, but also an incredible team over in the Mojave Desert in California and in New Mexico from, from the Virgin Galactic side. Incredible sort of minds and engineers and characters and people. So we, we should come back and talk about this later in the podcast or the intros, which is we keep talking about teams and something that, that occurs to me is that there are lots of 
very different types of teams. So yeah. hopefully at some point in the future, there's someone from uh, the medical world who works in A&E departments, which is a very, you know, that's different to come team, but creative teams. So to your point, there's an assumption that, you know, you said inside Virgin Galactic, it was one person oh, and yet yeah, it was nice. multiple people. Yeah. How does that work? How do you, mm. how do you create a team? How do you manage a team? And particularly with creatives where you're, you're, trained part of the value is different being different and being creative yeah how do you how do you take disparate views and pull it together for a brief so we'll, we'll catch on that later yeah absolutely yeah cool um so i i've just realized i read something yesterday um Susie Dent from countdown and it was the, the 10 sayings that aggravate people the most and one of them was starting sentences with so I've just done it. <laughs> or the, the worst one is is basically. Basically. Yeah, See, I, I, I'm okay yeah. with so, but basically, basically it's a bit is. more well, aggravating. Basically, I always found a very, it's kind of like a student, uh, you know, walk around a, a student um, degree show, and you say, and these, these poor students have been stood there for two days, and they're trying desperately to get a job, they're trying to put their best foot forwards, and every single one of them starts, and you say, so, tell me about your design, tell me about your product, and every single one of them starts, basically, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. But so I'm going to try not to do that. So okay, rewind. Hang then. on, you started yeah. and said, so I'm going to try not to do that. Have you just broken your own rule? Oh, should, can I, I think, think in the context of the sentence, that was okay. Is that acceptable? <laughs> we, we've gone down a rabbit hole. Call me out on it, though, when I do it. Really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a... You did start with so again? Did you say so hard? Did I? Yeah, yeah you did. Oh, no. It's okay. It's great, though. Give ourselves I don't think it's as bad. Today. I don't think it's as bad as I'm you I'm a former Royal Marines officer. And I did um, about 15 years or so, starting in close combat, and, and then I ended up in the world of intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, uh, which is all about finding and understanding what's happening, particularly what the adversary, what the enemy's doing, but also just understanding the environment that you're operating in to allow commanders, planners and operators to make better decisions. And that sort of led me on this journey of being really passionately interested in how we understand complex environments and how we make sense and make decisions about those complex environments. And those two things are subtly different, of course, because one is about collecting and interpreting data and information, and one is about the psychology of how we then use information in, as individuals, but also as teams that make decisions. So that's kind of my journey that I've been on and now I work as a consultant helping individuals but largely organisations in making sense of their operating environments, doing a bit of future prediction, a bit mm -hmm. of wargaming, scenario development, some of the techniques that we use in the military for creating and testing plans as, as well as a little bit on how to make high-performing high and high-functioning teams bit of the leadership versus culture um, and, and all of that kind of good stuff and that's what's led us to do this podcast. Well it was, it was interesting that we've, we've probably bored people on our own podcast. This started as a pub conversation and as so all the yeah. best ideas. I, think, well, I, I think that's true because it was we, we really enjoyed having these conversations and then we said we should probably record this, maybe other people are interested. So my background has sort of echoes actually of both sides. So w when I left school, I decided I wanted to fly or navigate aircraft. And it turns out 
at the time Her Majesty had more than anyone else. So I spent three years in the Royal Navy, well, three years to figure out actually I was terrible at navigation. But that, that was a, a, a really formative time in terms of being in the Royal Navy and starting to be introduced about this idea of leadership and teams. I then left the military and more latterly for the last 20 years I've been in the world of software and building software and, and you know my, my role is that they, they talk about product management and that's fascinating in terms of teams of people designing and building software products. As time has gone on I became more senior I did less of the sort of on the ground building products and more building teams and so that combination of how do you build really successful teams for building things and how do you build the teams of people who do that combined with my sort of passion for, for what I learned in the military that's really what led to this podcast which is the thing we thought that was interesting was the comparing and contrasting some of these ideas between military and mm. civilian world mm. and that there's sort of I suspect an assumption that the worlds are radically different it turns out the worlds are very similar, yeah. but there are some things that the military probably focus on or thinks about, or maybe even does better, and some things... So we thought yeah. that was really interesting, that sort of comparison and contrasting, that that's, that's sort of what led us here. I mean, it's, it's exactly what I stand up and talk about, which is hence why you approached me, Gareth, at the end of that talk I, yeah. did, I did here, all those, you know, about a year ago now. Because we talk in, in my world, in the design and in innovation business, we talk about innovation being at the crossover between different industries, different ideas, different backgrounds. So it's all about diversity. Uh, so hence why, you know, talking to you about this sort of future prediction scenario stuff, we were like, oh my God, we're, we're doing the same thing here. Yeah. On the face of it, you would imagine that we are polar opposites. The military and a very soft skill set that a designer has where I'm, effectively I'm trying to sort of come up with experiences and products that people love. It's quite sort of frivolous in some ways if you look at it like that, but also, you know, designing stuff that's to strip plastic out is also good for the planet and things, but I'm yeah. very soft end of the world. And then you, you're from the much more sort of hardcore end of the world. And then Chris, you sit perfectly in the middle. So it's quite a good sort of for yeah. people to chat about well, this stuff and chat about creativity. I think that the sort of the, the context for this is it's about diversity. We, yeah. we we come at this week after week in different angles, which is if if you just have this very narrow view of the world, there's there's a limit to what you can imagine or experience the moment you bring more diversity. And what's fun is that people to your point, the idea that you would bring a designer to the military or the military to a designer would be insane. They're, yeah, they're yeah. not like us, but actually, A, there are already common ideas and, and thoughts behind it, but B, there is a diversity of thinking. Have you thought of this? Yeah. 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 There's also there's a commonality as well in the, in the juxtaposition of, in the design world, the precision that is required in designing for engineering yeah. versus the artistic, creative, generally fluffy kind of end of it. Yeah, I mean, and, and pulling those two things fluffy, together. And it's kind of the right And way I don't mean that in a disparaging it. It's, it's soft skills. Soft skills. Well, yeah. But, but yeah. I was going to say, I don't think it is fluffy. I think it's a different set of skills, but yeah. fluffy indicates that there's no thought or process yeah, or depth to or it. Depth. Or depth. Yeah. And I, I think, don't, I think I don't that's mean not it like that. No, yeah, but I know yeah. what you mean. I think actually, but that's such an interesting thing to put on, which is creatives are fluffy. Yeah. Well, hang on a minute. A creative has quite a disciplined approach. Mm, yeah. 
all well, this is different. This is the problem with definitions. With creativity, is def defining creativity is very difficult. Desi defining design as a thing, because yeah. design spans anything from very very hardcore engineering right up to kind of uh, you know fifty year out future prediction futurism yeah. stuff. And, and, and everything in between. So, and included and he, in you that. You can be a designer and you can do one tiny little spur of, yeah. of that spectrum, or you could be a designer that tries to do all of it, which is difficult, like poly polymath type people. That's and a difficult thing to do. In that spectrum is operational design. Yeah. Which is what we've been talking about in the last couple of episodes. Service design, experience design, all these things are kind of encapsulated by design. So I, I, I have a difficult time sometimes explaining what I kind of do even more now that I'm back very much back into the design, uh, the automotive design world. Yeah. So I've left Seymour Power now uh, after doing, you know, some fun projects that I've spoke to you about before. But also now the stuff you're talking about with um, having outside influence and diversity, it's very difficult for me because I effectively run my own business on my own, working kind of from my own house. So I've moved out from a, a business with 120 odd people that were you know, incredibly creative, incredibly smart, and a massive spectrum of different people, a very diverse set of people at Seymour Power, loads of influence from around the world and different cultures and everything, to sitting on my own in my flat. Hence why I like doing this kind of thing, to get out and about and talk to people, but also, you know, Future Strategy Club, the kind of people I've met here is are people like yourselves, which I never would have met even in my very diverse old office at at Seymour Power because we may have never crossed paths. So. Yeah, like, likewise, you know, I, I work in, you know, or have come from the, the defence and security world where there is a lack of diversity, which is we've talked about before and it is changing, but mm -hmm. it is very much a male-dominated culture. The recruitment of military and, and therefore the ex-military world, you know, is, is quite limited in its diversity from various aspects and so yeah being part of something like the future strategy club down here it brings me yeah. to a different part of london i get to you know, meet very different people yourself but but that i mean that dinner we came to was, was yeah. phenomenal so we should probably we we mentioned the future strategy club two or three times now yeah, for those yeah. people who aren't familiar with it Perhaps you could talk a bit, um, Gary, yeah, about absolutely. what the Future Strategy Club is. So we are currently in the offices of the Future Strategy Club. It is a creative agency um, that focuses heavily on giving back to the community. So they're based here in Peckham, and they are a you know, creative agency for profit doing the linking up and that sort of finding creatives to to solve people's problems. But the overall business is about connecting people, it's about creating ideas, and it's about giving back to the community. And building, yeah, they build funds, don't they? they to, do. to, to sort of fund local projects and things. It, for me, I mean, it probably gives you the same thing, we've already sort of touched on it, but it, what it gives me is an, an injection of people that I need, and a, a far more actually diverse set of people than are in my day-to-day -day job as an automotive designer, which is still predominantly, you know, pale males. It's yeah. still predominantly, and it, it is changing, it is getting more diverse, but it is still predominantly sort of white men, effectively, that do, yeah. do my job. So to have a much more diverse set of people to sort of talk to about ideas and things is, is I'm, I miss it and I need it now that I'm on my own at home. Yeah, I think and yeah, you're entirely right. From a contractor, self-employed perspective, it's a brilliant way of maintaining relationships and, and that kind of thing. But also, 
I've learned, and I've learned the hard way, and I wish I could go back probably 10 or 15 years and start again from this perspective, the value of networking. And the value of networking is not meeting people that are going to solve your problems. Or give you jobs. Or give you jobs yeah. or find you contracts. for doing it but actually it's those serendipitous meetings and actually most of the value I've had from the last four or five years of really squeezing and exploiting my you know my network has been in those sidebar conversations those meeting up for a coffee or a beer with somebody that you're not anticipating is going to be a lead yeah. for work but it's just an interesting conversation that has generated a project or an idea they, or, they call that the, the coffee machine moment yeah, you know, in, in in it's kind of a cheesy way of saying it, but it is that moment, and, and that's what I'm missing because, you know, when you're on your own at home and you're just solidly working and you're not, you don't leave and go and talk to people. I miss that. I, I miss those moments where, oh, what are you working on? You know, and and yeah. someone would say, oh, I've got this amazing project, and then like, I'm stuck on this, and you, you know, what what do you think about this this issue with this design project? I don't have any of that out there, so I, I kind of need to find a way of of doing that and the whole podcast is about talking to people about this stuff yeah we i mean i think that reflects fantastically this is sort of to some degree what we're trying to do as well which is we, we've been very clear if anyone's expecting the answers or a blueprint yeah, yeah. they're not going to find <laughs> it in the 20 hours of content or more that we've done but actually i think it's the exploration and the iteration on ideas which is really valuable and it's not just for us as a podcast talking about these ideas but I talk about this with my product managers frequently, which is one of the most valuable things as a product manager is to stand in front of someone else, tell them what's going on in your world and what your problems are. Yeah. Not because that person will necessarily solve them, but sometimes saying it out loud and sort yeah. of is, is is part of that creative process that sort of gets you to move along. So I think it's also about that shared consciousness that we've talked about. And in the, the last two episodes of our our podcast we've covered operational art which is the the link between strategy and doing stuff operations mm -hmm. tactics and we talked a lot about the the need for building relationships cross-functionally so that when things change when things go wrong you're not reaching out to that other department or that other organization and asking for help and for the first time meeting them and learning what they do. Hello, yeah, I have a, sure, have a problem sure. and I'd like to transactionally solve that problem. Yeah, sure. You've already got those relationships. The difficulty with that, of course, is from a leadership or a managerial point of view, it seems really inefficient to have those cross-functional conversations, those water cooler conversations or those coffee machine conversations when there isn't a problem. But by the time there is a problem, it's probably too late. And I was working in an organisation recently where, for cutback reasons, for financial reasons, they'd removed all the coffee machines. Okay. Um, and, and then... That's I think a dangerous went, move. Yeah. In, in my then, world, that's a very dangerous <laughs> move. Because you, you could be... Cut, well, there's a, huge, you know. there's a huge motivation and yeah. sort of leadership aspect to that as well. But just purely from a functional aspect you're not mixing people up. So yeah. they were all communicated through email. So there was lots of cross-functional emails, which were very transactional. Yeah. 
but those happenstance meetings where you make a coffee at the same time as somebody else absolutely and you go oh I've just sent you an email but while you're here and you have that chat and over five minutes you discover far more about it all of that goes and they went as far as they removed all the bins okay um, Okay, for now, financial reasons as for well. For financial reasons, yeah. Because so, bins are an ongoing cost. So yeah, yeah, two pound ninety nine. The cost of the cleaners. Yeah. So they had less bins. Okay. Um, but aren't, aren't you? Wouldn't I think you this be is in some ways breeding a culture, or the last thing you want to, when you're talking about sort of uh, promoting creativity is people to come into an office, put their headphones on, sit at their desk, and send emails. Yeah. That's the opposite of why you even have an office. Yes. You know, all this stuff's changing. Post-pandemic, the, the way people work is changing. We've got autonomous vehicles coming in where you can work on the way to work, sleep on the way to work. Do you even have to go to work if you can work from anywhere? There's all these questions about working practices now. And for me, that is really interesting because it's all about how, what the best ways for me personally to sort of uh, promote my own creativity internally you know yeah. how, how do I harbor that how do I sort of protect creativity while working on my own while going into other people's yeah. offices and it sounds like taking away water coolers and bins yeah you're just you're just getting people to come and sit at a desk and drone their yeah, way but in. it was it was a very transactional you know the cleaners cost is X we can reduce it by a certain percentage yeah it comes back Coffee to this you, you can have a framework and the Absolutely. framework is we have to manage our costs yeah. but is managing your costs going to lead to the most effective yeah. outcome that you might And does it hurt you in the long run? But it yeah. comes down, because it's common sense, and we can all sit here and go, well, that's ridiculous, and of course that would... Yeah. And, and everybody agrees. But then again, if but a company's going under, unless they get rid of all their £2.99 well, bins, then I suppose it, you it have to do it, It turned out that wasn't right? the case at all. It just turned out that the person who is responsible for productivity and the generation of output was different from the person who's responsible for managing the building and the cost. And the finances and the overhead. they had been incentivised to cut costs and they found ways of cutting yeah. costs, even though it had created intangible costs on the business as a whole. And it comes back to this, you know, they were removing cross-functionality because they had a, lo- a lack of cross-functionality at a higher level. Of course, level. yes. It, it, was, it was sort of a downward spiral. In some and way. it was unintended consequences. And it was an unintended consequence. I mean, that's a great example of a, a sort of a way that it can break down. But Chris, I wonder if you've got, because, you know, running these teams and you say you're not creative, but you're running creative teams. I I guarantee that there's lots of creativity in doing that job itself. What were the techniques or how did you see yourself um, promoting creativity? You know, is it a little bit like some of the stuff, Gareth, you talk about where the creative bit is is between the strategy and the execution. It's allowing people to be creative from that point to that point, you know, that, that I mean, kind it, of thing. It, it's a it's a really really good question. There's there's, and I actually I hadn't actually thought about giving, uh, how I'd answer this. Creativity for me, or one of the elements of it, is giving people space to think and iterate. So I'll, I'll come back and answer your question properly. But I remember back many many years ago when I was at Adobe, there was um, a very talented engineer that I used to work with. He was the architect for the product, and I found myself regularly you know once a day walking to his office and talking about stuff it wasn't you know i need this this and this from you tell me the answers uh-huh. it was more a discussion and we had a whiteboard and we would draw on the whiteboard and that was very creative because we we sort of tried to figure out what the story was and what the problem was and then over days and days and days the diagram on the board would change 
and magically a month later we realized we had a very different answer a more complete answer and well thought out answer so in that particular case the creativity was giving ourselves the space and time to talk about something without the constraints of you need to deliver something yeah. give us the right answer that's the killer and, and, I, and that is a very very common thing in my world which is we have a deadline to deliver a thing immediately that sets the it sets the scene that says don't do things that don't lead directly to the answer well mm -hmm. creativity is a bit of a journey it's a bit of a you I don't agree with the idea that there's no way I could possibly tell you how long this will take or what it will be. That's one extreme. Yeah. But on the other hand, the other extreme that says you don't need to meet people, you don't need to discuss it, that's a bad thing. So the answer to your question of how do I bring creativity is to, is to sponsor and support and create opportunities for those moments. So the first one is with the customer. And that is something which seems extraordinarily obvious, but that the phrase that was used to me is, are we a sausage machine? Which implies you turn the handle, people say I want a sausage and the goal is to make as many sausages as you can, versus actually, do you even want a sausage? What kind of sausage do you yeah, want? Yeah. It, and therefore, it, do you want, actually want a burger? Exactly. Questioning, exactly. questioning the brief, we call this. In, in so, the, yeah. so yeah. giving people the opportunity to sit and spend time, there's the first bit of creativity. There's another more intra-team creativity, which I'm passionate about. And in every business I've worked, I've sort of over time built this up, which is getting my team to talk to each other about what they're doing. And it seems incredibly, well, we already know what we're doing, Chris, because we plan on this. No, no, that's not what I mean. I want you in front of a group of diverse people who either know what you're building, don't know what you're building, they're designers or they're software engineers or they're product managers, talk about what you're doing because the, it feels really weird to start with. Well, what do you want me to tell you? But very quickly, you, you, it turns into a different conversation. Well, we've got this problem. Oh, I've solved that problem before in a different way. Or have you thought of this? Or did you know there's a dependency on this? So it's, it's creating that space for that creativity. Mm. I don't have to make creativity. I just have to create an environment where creativity can emerge and sort of just thrive on its own. It's yeah. interesting the way that you talk about you know, whiteboarding the problem and are you a sausage factory or you know, should you be making burgers? And you talk about the, the brief. But of course, for a lot of people, the creative challenge isn't to solve a particular client or customer's brief. It's about adapting to new things. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge becomes less about solving the problem and creating an organisation that can adapt to new ways of working. Which is what your wargaming techniques yeah, no. really fascinate me on this point. Exactly. Thinking definitely about military creativity. So this is what T. Lawrence in uh, Lawrence of Arabia um, talks about in Seven Pillars of Wisdom when he talks about the flash of the Kingfisher. He talks about how you can have all the information, you can have done all the staff colleges, be top of the, top of the class, but it's the, it's the officer that has the flash of the Kingfisher, that inspirational insight where they can pull together different ideas from different... He's talking at the time about 
new ways of fighting, so taking mm -hmm. ideas from the Western Front, European doctrine, and applying it to a Middle Eastern culture, and having the insight of live, living with, working with the, the nomads and the Bedouins, um, and the Arabs to work out what is the best way of fighting. That flash of the kingfisher is now the, is that the, is that the light bulb. Is that kind of in my yeah. way the light Similar. bulb moment? Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff around this. In yeah, this. and it, it comes back to your idea about you know not having the framework, but being able to pull things together. It's interesting to me because that kingfisher has become the, the symbol of the UK Defence Academy and the staff colleges of the UK military. And we've almost taken it to mean you know, senior commanders somehow are magically better able to yeah. create the idea. And we sometimes it's taken out of context. And what I think it means is the ability, at whatever level in the organisation, to enable ideas to come together, to have the freedom to try things out. And sometimes that means being really inefficient. So if you're making sausages, you want to be inefficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to be efficient. efficient. You yeah. want to have you know, a machine that all the sausages come out the same, they use the same amount and of consistency material, and consistency, and efficiency, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And you're back to you know, the uh, scientific management and everything being the same. And that's where diversity becomes a bit of a grit in the machine. Mm -hmm. And actually what you want is this efficiency, but in creativity you want inefficiency. Because you want the space Which to is exploration. try new ideas, yeah, you want to learn. There's a, I, I think I want to make a point about creativity. So we've sort of implied creativity is to solve a problem. In fact, a different way of saying a clearly stated problem. We need to create a new product that does X. We, we need to solve a problem because a customer needs Y or whatever it might be. I think there is... Uh, a lack of creativity around our sort of the existing way we structure and do things. So, in mm -hmm. other words, if yes. you, we're yeah. busy talking about the thing people have asked us to be creative about. When was the last time we were creative about how we do something within the business that affects ourselves yeah. or the process itself? The process is a better and way of saying that's it. What I think I'm trying to get at in terms of the military problem of creativity, in terms of operationally being as a as an organization as a force being adaptive to a changing and dynamic situation where you're not trying to solve a brief you're not trying to simply come up with a creative way to solve the mission you're creating teams you're creating organizations resilient teams that are resilient and adaptive yeah. and can be creative as part of a wider creative culture this is where I feel that you and I are very much aligned because actually what you're doing with your wargaming is creating a culture of resilience to change and really what a, a, what a, a designer, especially uh, in, in the kind of consultancy world that I'm from, what we are good at is having never done something before but being happy to step into a situation where we've never done it before, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen but we know we can get through it. So people would come to us and say, uh, you know, we'd like to get you to design this exterior of this car or interior of this car, but we, you haven't shown us anything that you've done that's, that is perfectly aligned with what we're doing. And we're like, well, if we've done it before, you wouldn't be innovating. We, it's the naivety of going in 
knowing that you can get through it, but not having ever done it before, yeah. is kind of the skill of a designer, to be resilient, to, uh, to be adaptable to new and to briefs be, and, and new situations. The, the point that I got from there was it's about being comfortable with that. Comfortable, yeah. which most people aren't good at, being that comfortable. And as designers, you learn over decades, and it takes a lot of time to be, every, at the beginning of every project, you're sitting there going, I'm shitting myself. No idea how I'm gonna get yeah. through this. Yeah. And I think that comes back to the operational art. It also, in a much earlier episode, I talked about the concept of carving a statue out of a block of marble. And the idea that the statue isn't in the block of marble and you're trying to get it out, yeah, yeah. you're creating the statue. And so there isn't an end result that you're trying to get to. You are going through a process and an end result is created. And that's the difference, I think, in mindset between somebody who's comfortable with ambiguity going through that process has a, a sense of what they want to achieve. And, and, and a sort of given, what we have, I guess, is a sort of a, a given confidence that you will get to the answer, yes. however painful that journey is, which I think is aligned with the way you're both talking well, about ambiguity. So, so one of the, the idea that you're comfortable with ambiguity is about the implication for me is if if all, if you're always worried about mm -hmm. ambiguity that is inefficient to use that term. in other words i'm spending more time worrying about it than i am doing it so yeah. i like that that's that's my up, sort of thing you end about, up taking the coffee machine out the you end up taking the coffee machine out, but, but, but yeah, when you when you when you when you're yeah. comfortable with ambiguity you can say okay now let's talk about it and how do we yeah. Yeah. but there's a second piece which i think again isn't talked about very much and that is as leaders, how you are perceived by your team. And let's, let's talk about it from a creative perspective. If you turn up at a customer and they say, can you design, can you solve this problem or design this thing? If you said, oh my God, I don't know whether I can do that, it's too much yeah. time. They're like, oh wow, this isn't gonna work. But when you sit in front of them and say, it's all right, I've done this before, yeah. I've done something a little bit different, all of a sudden you're building confidence. Now, what I've learned as a leader is that over the years, one of the most valuable things I can do when, when there is sort of challenge or there is sort of there is a big problem, part of my job is to slow things down, yeah. be calm, and and effectively project we're in a difficult, ambiguous situation, but it's okay, everyone, we'll get through it. And that actually is almost the single most valuable thing I can do in those situations. So that's answering my original question to you, is what, how, do you, uh, how do you protect creativity in your team? And what you're effectively doing there is, is giving people um, the relaxed environment to have new innovative ideas. The, the, the problem with design in, in, in my world is that monetizing it goes completely against everything about design that gives you creativity. So having a job as a designer, suddenly it becomes work, which means it's not the joyful yeah. thing that you kind of signed up to. And there's a deadline. And there's a, and a dead, I mean, a deadline is, is great for getting stuff done, but it's not great for creativity unless you, 90% of the work's done in the last 10% of the time with design because you spend a lot of time procrastinating and trying to get it, work out the problem, which is all very valuable, but the bulk of the work is done at the last 10% of the time, just before the deadline. So the deadline breeds productivity, but doesn't necessarily 
breed creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you're doing, what you're talking about, which is which is having an environment that is a, a very forgiving. It's kind of the Disney way of doing stuff. No idea is a bad idea. Yeah. You know, the, the minute you've got someone in the room that people look at and go, oh, I better not say that in, in case my boss or my manager or one of the other alpha human beings in the room is going to shoot me down. Then you're just you're it's, stopping it, any it, conversation. It's to normalise it. Try to take away yeah. the emotion. It sounds very really obvious to stuff. But no, you don't get it. It is yes. important, and just just that simple thing of saying, "Slow down, everyone." Yeah. Okay, we're going to get. We've got this. We've done this before. Yeah. Let's go and do what we normally do. Before I met you, I, we, at, at my old job, we had someone come in from the SAS, and he t he was talking. He does a little bit similar stuff to, to what you do, Gareth, which is you know bringing some of that thinking into business. Yeah. And he was talking about. Um, which is, a, a, every, I feel like everybody knows this apart from me at the time, but slowing down to do stuff quicker. Yes. So slowing yeah. down. So he was talking literally about sort of sniper or, or you know, the, the kind of sort of kill moments in a, in a, in a war zone. Flow is smooth. Slow is, yeah. And I didn't know this at yeah. that point. I've got this... Um, Otherwise you rush things. You make mistakes and it longer. takes longer. So yeah. the way I've been using this in my day-to-day, -day, uh, I've got a, an Instagram account which is just about sort of interesting cars called like Supercar in the Wild. So it's just stuff I see out about. And I'm, I've got really good at very slowly taking my phone out and not thinking about the car that I'm about to try and take a photo of. Because I used to be like fumbling for my phone, yeah. pull it out, yeah. miss the car it has gone past. You know, the, the amazing Ferrari or 2CV or whatever. And something cool that I think is cool has gone past and I've missed the moment. Now I'm very deliberately slow, and I, nearly every time I get this, I get a car, and you see it, you go right, and you just don't think about the car, think about the job you're doing, take your phone out, open the camera, yeah. and I'm ready. And it's a sort of side note, but it, it was it's one of the first things I learned that has come directly from the military and affected my life in a massive way. And and this slow to go fast, you see, we're we're talking about how potentially, I mean, in this case, how it makes you go better. Mm -hmm. But the teams, right? Is well, it's team? well, it's it's setting the example when the leader says it's okay, guys. We know how to do this. That all around you, you're having this multiplying effect of everyone going. <sighs> yeah, cause, okay. Because the team version of fumbling for the camera yeah. and missing the shot is people just panicking, panicking, panicking about, panicking about, about an engineering yeah, problem, yeah, about absolutely. design problem. About right. Well, in my role as the the military part of the team here He's I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to throw a grenade into into the breach of understanding uh, the future AI AI is going to solve all these problems because we're not going to need designers it's going to do it can do it all, all for us and it's going to solve the, the managerial and leadership problem because it's going to it's better make us well, all you, you, you say that but we have to reveal this whole podcast was written by ChatGPT. All we're <laughs> yeah, yeah, doing yeah. is reading a ChatGPT yeah, 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 script, right? Whilst Chris and I were at the Future Strategy Club with Rick Phil from Creatively Challenged, our conversation drifted away from creativity and into a whole new topic exploring artificial intelligence. The conversation was so interesting that we went on for quite a lot longer than we'd initially planned. And so we've decided to make the editorial decision to split this into two podcasts. And so we're going to stop here. But please do join us again next week as we continue the conversation with Rich and start to explore how artificial intelligence is influencing the world of design, the world of strategy, and generally the world of work. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do tell your friends. And feel free to get in touch with us and ask questions, provide feedback, 
or simply just a comment. We're available on Twitter at battlingwithbiz, that's biz with a Z, or alternatively, you can email us at battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com. But for now, though, thanks very much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.